Welcome to the Dream to Destination podcast. Around here, we believe that solo travel is the ultimate freedom. It is also one of the quickest paths to empowerment and personal growth. Have you been dreaming about it, but unsure if you have the confidence to travel solo? Well, I'm here to tell you that you most certainly do. How do I know? Easy. Because if I do, and millions of other women do, then so do you. Hi, I'm Shelly of TravelMexicoSolo.com. Join me here on this podcast each Monday to learn the tried and true tips, tricks, and mindset hacks that I used while traveling solo in Mexico for over two years. You'll also hear stories from other solo female travelers on how they transcended their fears and anxieties to step into their confidence and explore the world solo. So if you're ready to turn your dream of solo travel into your destination, then this podcast was made for you. Now let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dream to Destination podcast. Um, I am so excited to be talking to my guest this week, who is just inspirational to me (laughs) on many levels, but Elizabeth Hilton of the blog Adventures in Fluency. And 12 years ago, she decided that for every country she visited, she was going to learn the language before she traveled to that country. And much like maybe what you were thinking, her friends called her insane. Um, Her work colleagues wanted to know how she could find the time to do such a thing. But it turns out that this new hobby actually opened up the world to her and her family in wonderful ways beyond anything she says she could have ever hoped for. The goal with her blog, she says, is to encourage people to learn languages, travel, connect, and communicate by bringing to you her stories and sharing some tips on travel and language learning to offer you some travel tools as well. She is also a mother of two, a public defender, and a dancer who lives in San Francisco when not traveling. So, oh my God, what a resume, and welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are the uh, most like fabulous on paper guest <laughs> that I've ever had. <laughs> you have done quite a bit. So how many languages do you speak now? Well, so that's a that's an interesting question that I'm actually you know thinking about more. So I think the better way is not how many do I speak? But how many have I learned? Because, you know, one of the problems with learning a language is, you know, um, it it waxes and it wanes. And so I'm always the most fluent in the language I'm learning as soon as I get back from my trip because I've immersed in it, I've studied it. And then when I turn to the next language, that one kind of fades a little bit. But um, I have learned... Um, at this point, we've got uh, French, Spanish, Italian, Croatian, Vietnamese, Turkish, um, Greek, um, and I'm learning Swedish right now, and I'm refreshing my Spanish. 
So eight languages in total that I've learned. That's, I mean, that's amazing. You are a polyglot, which is like not a word I get to use every day. So I'm excited to be talking to a polyglot right now. And polyglot means someone who speaks, I guess, at least three or more languages, more than two, yeah. many. Poly means many, so many language speaker. Um, so that is amazing. Now, I can imagine that some people might be thinking, well, like, there's no possible way that I could do that. And um, I just want you to maybe kind of touch on that. Like, for someone who can't maybe go as deep as you have in some of these ways, what is, like, some ways that they can, you know, learn maybe a little bit more even than the basics so they're just that much more prepared? Like, how can they make learning, you know, a part of their life before they travel or just like integrate it easily into their travel prep that they're already going to have to do. So that's one of my favorite things to do. Um, and, you know, I wrote a post on it actually um, a couple years ago, basically talking about how you can make language the theme for the year. So what I like to do when, you know, I'm preparing for a trip, um, because since I do work full time as a public defender, um, you know, I don't travel all the time. I don't travel. It's, I'm not one of those. I quit my job and I'm traveling full time stories. I still have a nine to five. Um, and so I take trips every year. And so I have a whole year between my trips um, to really prep for it. So when I decide where I'm going to go, um, I make that language the theme for the year. So um, the main thing to learn a language is just to do a, a little bit every day and find something um, that works for you. So if you like to, you know, if you have a commute to work, you can listen to Pimsleur, um, which is an audio program and it gets you to repeat things. And so you can learn that way. If you um, want to invest in um, a program, you can do Rosetta Stone, you can do Duolingo, which is a great free app, but doing a little bit of your language every day. And then you can do other things like um, watch movies on Netflix. There's a great Netflix extension that allows you to watch um, movies in um, subtitles of both that target language and English. So you can practice your language that way. You can listen to podcasts. You can, um, you know, pick up a new hobby. Um, when I went to, uh, when we were going to go to Barcelona, I actually learned flamenco for a whole year and, you know, kept threatening my daughter in Barcelona that I was going to drink sangria and get up and dance in front of everybody in a cafe, which never happened. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it was great to learn flamenco because a lot of people in the class all spoke Spanish. The gritas are all in Spanish. So you're immersing yourself in that. Um, you know, go to uh, the, the restaurants in your community where they speak that language. When I learned Turkish last year, I became very good friends with um, the owner of Troya here in San Francisco on Fillmore Street. And we literally went for Turkish breakfast every weekend just so I could practice speaking Turkish um, with his waitstaff. So, you know, there's, there's fun ways to work it in, you know, get a, get a language buddy, somebody you know that speaks the language, and then, you know, go talk to them. When I was learning Vietnamese, 
you know, the women who do my nails, it's a, a female owned Vietnamese um, salon. And so every time I got my nails done, I would speak to them in Vietnamese and it was awesome. So it's, it's a fun way to connect to people in your own community. Um, and, you know, it's, it doesn't take that much time um, to just expose yourself to it um, a little bit every day. But the main thing is, you know, 20 to 30 minutes every day in whatever way um, is going to tune your ear to the language so that the words start to stick. Um, yeah, again, this is just, this is so impressive. Your, your whole, your whole like learn the language thing is just so impressive, but I love especially like mentioning that, you know, your the nail salon and at the Turkish restaurant, because like essentially you're rewarding yourself with like a meal and a manicure from, and you're integrating the, you know, learning in with that, but your brain, you know, sees it as like, it's part of a reward system and like our basic human psychology. Like if I do this, I get a reward and that makes even like learning easier and makes you want to do it more. So that's, it's so smart. Yeah, and it's a great way to, to get to learn more about your community because, I mean, just with the nail salon in particular, I had been going there for years. It was my local salon, but it wasn't until I started to learn Vietnamese and I started to speak to them and study more about like when the Vietnamese refugees came to San Francisco and why that I actually took the time to ask them about their story. And these two women you know, had owned the salon for 25 years and had come over and, in, in, you know, and um, Saigon fell. And they told me their whole story about how they'd gone to like six different refugee camps to get here. And they were, act she was actually pregnant when she opened the salon. Like imagine arriving in a country, brand new, pregnant, not speaking the language and opening your own business that was successful for, you know, 25 years. I mean, so to me, it, it really um, gives me an opportunity to, to get to know people better in a way that, you know, superficially, maybe you're not exploring those relationships. Yeah. And I think it actually like signals to those people that you care a little bit more. Um, so yeah, you write about in um, your blog, which is called Why Should You Learn the Language Before You Travel, which I think encapsulates your whole adventures and fluency kind of like ethos. Um, and you write about how learning the language touches people's hearts. Um, can you tell me about what, how you explain that to people or you know, how you have found that that has happened? Um, definitely. And actually, uh, I really liked... Um, the comment that you made yesterday um, on that post, because it really does, in, you know, capture the the philosophy I was trying to get across. And you said that a friend told you that when you learn the language and you go to the country, it's like um, bringing a gift to a friend's house when you're invited over for dinner and. And that's such the perfect way of thinking about it because, you know, even if you can't, you're not fluent, you're not able to have a conversation, but you're able to say please and thank you and nice to meet you and my name is, what is yours in the target language, you are 
you know, interacting with people in a way that um, makes you not the other, but someone who's a part of their community. And um, I would say probably the two places where I experienced that the most was first in Vietnam, um, because in Vietnam, I mean, just wonderfully gracious people, but when the Americans are there, they, you know, they don't, nobody speaks Vietnamese, nobody even tries. And so over and over and over again, when I would, you know, walk in and say, you know, sing chow, you know, um, or come on. I mean, how hard is it to say thank you in Vietnamese? Come on. That's it. <laughs> you know, um, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, my son will never forget it because, you know, he, he likes to joke around. And so he'd say, come on. <laughs> so, um, you know, every time I would go in, um, and say something or try to speak and it's like, you know, de la Kaizi, this is my family, you know, it would be, they, their eyes would just light up and, you know, they, they would feel like, oh, look, this is somebody who really actually wants to make an effort to talk to us versus just coming in and don't you speak English and, you know, serve me. It's, it, you know, it created more of a connection. Um, and then recently, you know, last summer I went to Barcelona and, you know, the first time I went, I learned Spanish and I didn't realize that that's not the right language for Barcelona. Barcelona is Catalan. So this summer I made a pointed effort to study Catalan. And, you know, when I walked into the gelato store and the young ladies behind the counter you know, giving my son some food or getting my son an ice cream, you know, I was like, bon dia. And she's just kind of looked at me like, mm -hmm. what, did you just say something to me in Catalan? And, you know, and then she asked me and I said, si us plau, which means please. And she was just like, you know, it, she had a big grin on her face because she realized that this was something that, you know, even the other Spaniards in her country aren't necessarily taking the effort to do. And so Catalan is such an essential part of their identity. And they, and, you know, the people of Catalonia feel that they have a nation without a border to acknowledge their language um, by speaking it to them is, is very meaningful that, to them. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people don't realize how, like, that there are other instances of this in the world that are nations without language, like, you know, like the Kurds, which encapsulates a couple countries. But, you know, that's like, it's, it's humanizing to, like, talk to people in their, in their language, especially people that are as marginalized as the Catalans. I, I read that they did, they do have their own independence um, from Spain, but I think you know, like you said, even like you're even a well-traveled, like informed person and you went to Barcelona and didn't know the first time that, you know, they had their own language. I think a lot of people don't know. So. Yeah. And I, and I, what I didn't realize is that it was like, it was, it's not a dialect. It's a, it's a, their own separate language, just like, you know, French and, and Portuguese are all romance languages. You know, Catalan is not a dialect. It's its own it's a language in its own right. 
No, yeah, even if you're on Google Translate, you can opt for Catalan. I've yeah. seen it on there. Um, so I'm looking at your your couple words on your, your blog that I'm going to link in the show notes to anyone who wants to see it, but it doesn't look... It, like, is it a Latin language? Is Catalan a Latin language? It is. So it's, it is um, definitely, you know, um, it's a romance language. It's a Latin language. But it's, uh, if you know French and you know Spanish um, and you know a little Italian, you know, it would, um, it'll make sense to you. You can, um, so it's, it's sort of, it's interesting in some ways. It's kind of like Spanish with the, the vowel and vowels cut off. So mm -hmm. instead of saying, you know, buenos dias, you know, you say bon dia, you know, and then, you know, instead of saying please, you know, in French, you would say s'il vous plaît, right? But in Catalan, you say sous plau. So it's sort of similar in that ways. So, you know, so there's little bits of Spanish and French and some Italian um, in it um, that, you know, that you can you can kind of, if you know those languages, you'll, you'll have an easy time learning it. It sounds like Portuguese to me, like where I lived in South Florida, that we have a lot, a lot, a lot of Brazilians. So I, and I've been to Brazil. So when you say seals plow, I totally hear Portuguese too. Mm -hmm. And bon, I think bon dia is how they say good day in Portuguese as well. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Portuguese is like the only romance language I haven't studied. Yeah. That sounds the most like Portuguese to me. I mean, I'm by far not an expert in language, but yeah, South Florida is actually, everyone thinks it's just Cuban people who live there, but we have like Cuban, Brazilian, like every Caribbean island, a lot of Haitian people, a lot of Russians and Eastern Europeans. Like it's a very, very multicultural. So I'm used to hearing a lot of languages like you probably are too in San Francisco, you know? Yeah. But yeah, to me, that sounds the closest to Portuguese. Interesting. Very interesting. So learning a language again, like how let's, I mean, now we know a little bit why it benefits, let's say the people of the country you're traveling to. Now, how does it, you write in your blog about stimulating brain growth. So that's actually like a direct benefit to you as a language learner. Can you tell me about, um, you know, why you personally would want to learn language for your own, I guess, for your own benefit? Yes. No, um, definitely. Uh, one of the things that um, I have found very interesting is I have always notoriously been a horrible speller, just like, you know, the only the only F's I ever got in my whole life <laughs> was in spelling and in handwriting. And it, which was weird because, you know, I, I read tons of books as a kid, you know, cause we are like traveling as a kid would be like getting in the car and driving up to the mountains and going for a hike. Like we did not do international travel. So the only way I could travel to other parts of the world when I was a kid would read. So you would think I would be able to spell, but no. However, as soon as I started learning languages, one of the weird things that I discovered was my spelling got a lot better because I started understanding uh, the base of the language. Like, you know, when I was studying Greek, um, suddenly, you know, these things would start to like, make connections and make sense, which was very strange. Like, I remember we were learning about the graph, you know, the chromatograph, uh, which is, you know, this thing that they use to measure blood alcohol. Um, 
And I was like, oh, wait, chromo is color in um, Greek and grapho means to write. So it basically is a color writer, you know? And so of course, Dr. Limos, who is Greek, who was the head of our medical laboratory lab was very thrilled <laughs> by this epiphany. <laughs> mm -hmm. But just more than anything, you know, when you are, you know, when you're studying a language, you start making connections um, and you start and, and your brains, I mean, you're basically doing push-ups for your brain, right? You are exercising your brain um, in a way that um, is only going to help you, um, you know, be uh, be smarter and more um, efficient in the future. I mean, I'm 53 years old. And so, you know, I think it's really important, just like I get up and I do, you know, my little weightlifting to maintain my physical muscles. I also do my language to maintain my brain muscles. And there's actually scientific proof out there um, and studies that say that people who um, are bilingual, who learn other languages, um, actually have a later onset for, um, for dementia or Alzheimer's. So, um, and your kids will be smarter too. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's benefits both the young and the old. Yeah. And I, you know, and even like this stuff like spills over, I guess, even, you know, your friends see you doing it and then maybe they're not going to learn all another language, but now they understand this is why learning a new skill is good, you know, or, I don't know. It just, I think it ends up benefiting you, of course, and then just people around you, like your kids, like you mentioned. I love what you write in your blog about many people go on a pre-vacation diet and workout regimen to look good on the beach. Why not add language learning to that same boot camp? You could even like do a podcast while you work out. So you can do them both at the same time. <laughs> Well, and there's also a study, a great study that uh, measured uh, people, they put them on a stationary bike, and then they had them learn a language. And then they um, put people, they compared that to people who were sedentary during language learning. And they found that the people who actually biked while they learned the language had better retention and re remembered what they learned um, better. And so I started in this whole quarantine thing, going for walks, um, just to sort of get some exercise. And so I started listening to podcasts while I was walking. And I actually started noticing myself that I was retaining words better. So, you know, so you can kill two birds for the, you know, with the, with one stone for sure. And then also, you know, you may work your butt off to get in really good shape for your vacation. But then if you're sitting on the beach drinking Mai Tais the whole time, you're going to come back and all that work is going to be gone. <laughs> you know? Whereas if you learn a language and then you go to vacation and you use that language and you speak that language, your brain actually comes back in better shape than when you started. So I think it's better than a bikini workout. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, it makes sense though, because like while you exercise, you're like, you know, your blood circulating more and it's, it helps with, you know, it's going to stimulate blood movement in your brain and it's going to make, you know, thoughts easier through like neural pathways. So it makes sense. Absolutely. So that is a really good tip. Working out while listening to a language podcast. So 
Let's talk about how once you get to the country with your knowledge of the language, how has it helped you specifically, you know, with emergency situations? How has this language learning like helped you in actual practice? Um, well, the first time that it really helped, we were in Croatia. And so just let me paint this picture for you. It's four o'clock in the morning. I am locked in our, you know, VRBO apartment. Um, I am traveling with my 20 year old daughter who has the key. So I literally can't get out of my apartment and she is not home and it's four o'clock in the morning and I am freaking out. Um, and so I literally have to open the window and crawl out of the window onto a ledge dropped, you know, dropped down to the ground and find my way to the closest gas station because I can't get the phone in the VRBO to work so that I can call the police because I am freaked out. So I get to this gas station and there's a very nice man there, um, but he doesn't speak any English. And so, you know, so I look at him and I was like, um, you know, I was like, um, uh, geez, it's been a while since I've used Croatian. Let me see if I can get this right. Um, uh, so, which uh, is very poorly uh, pronounced. I don't know where my daughter is. Um, and so, you know, be, I was able to sort of string together a couple phrases. And I basically said, you know, um, uh, you know, if I could use the phone. And so, so he hands me the phone and I call, uh, I call the police and I, you know, repeat the same thing. You know, I don't know where my daughter is in Croatian. Um, and so, you know, they say Engliska. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I need, I need to speak English. So, um, so they put me on with an English speaking officer. And I explained that, you know, my daughter's gone to this nightclub. I don't know where she is. It's four o'clock in the morning. And he starts laughing at me, which like kind of was sort of pissed me off, but <laughs> he starts laughing at me. And he's like, the clubs don't close until 4 a.m. <laughs> and I was like, oh. And he goes, you know, if she's not home in an hour, you know, call us back, but she's fine. It's Dubrovnik we're really safe here. Everybody's nice. She'll be fine. Give her, you know, she'll be home if she, she'll be home by six. And I was like, okay. So I go back to, as I'm walking back to the apartment, I get there and a motorcycle drives, you know, drives up. My daughter pops off the back completely, you know, excited and happy. And I want to strangle her. But, you know, I'm glad it worked out that way, but it was very important to be able to, you know, communicate in Croatian, um, you know, that I needed, that I needed help and I needed to call the police. So, um, so things like that, you don't want emergencies to happen, but, you know, sometimes you're out in the middle of nowhere and you do not have an English speaking person. So you need to at least be able to communicate a little bit. Um, so that you can, it can help you in those emergency situations. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, no one wants to think about it, but for those who have traveled enough, you know that like something's going to come up. <laughs> yeah. 
It's just like how severe of a something is going to come up for you. Um, I would. I don't have kids, but I would imagine your missing daughter was probably high on the like <laughs> emergency radar for you. And then just sometimes, you know, like just like little things. Like it was weird in in uh, Vietnam for some reason when we were going through uh, customs, they only wanted us to go one at a time. Cause, you know, usually you can all go up as a family and show your passports all at the same time. Yeah. But for some reason in Vietnam, when we were leaving, um, you know, when we were leaving Ho Chi Minh City, um, you know, they wanted us to go one by one. So my husband went first and then my son goes and he's like 10 at the time, you know, so he's a little guy, he goes up with his passport and a guard starts like, you know, escorting him off to the side. And I was like, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, de la, de la, um, congai kwao ming, you know, de la congai kwao ming. That's like, that's my son. That's my son, my son, you know? So I'm like, like, yeah, you know, saying to him. Um, and, and so then they were, so they say me and they're like, and then, so then they came over and they let me go with him. So, you know, so it was just like, just that in that moment of like, where are you taking my 10 year old son? You know, it, it got their attention. And then it just turned out he was like missing a passport stamp or something and it got worked out, but it was a weird situation. Yeah. You, the, I mean, the, that stuff is just going to come up for any traveler. I mean, it's just, you know, the extent to which it comes up. So speaking of your son, he learned uh, some Spanish before you guys' trip to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, I see. Yeah. How did you get him to, uh, how did you get him to, how did you integrate fun into your son's uh, Spanish lessons? Well, so, you know, my son, my daughter loves learning languages. My son, on the other hand, like it's, it, he would rather like take a bath uh, he would rather like, you know, put on, it's just like, it's the low thing on the totem pole, but I really, really want him to like, it's sort of my one thing. Like I'm pretty like flexible with, you know, find your passion and pursue it. But when it comes to language, I'm like, you have to learn Spanish. <laughs> so, um, you know, so at the time, this was a couple years ago at the time, it's when Fortnite came out. And he was crazy for Fortnite. Um, and all his friends were playing Fortnite. And I was like, no. I mean, I'm a public defender. You know, I, I don't want my kids playing gunplay. You know, I just think, you know, we're talking about, you know, neurons and bad things for your brain. I, I do think, you know, violent video games are bad for brain development. But he, you know, he really wanted to play and all of his friends, he's like, got to play and all, you know, how could all the other moms be so good? And I was so horrid. So <laughs> I finally was like, okay, I'll tell you what, if you spend, you know, 20 minutes on Duolingo learning Spanish every day, I will let you, you know, play Fortnite. And so I put it on my phone so he could only play it on my phone. So he would do his Duolingo and basically like have it done before I even got home from work. And so as soon as I walked in the door, he'd go, I, I finished my Duolingo and I'd look and sure enough, it was done. 
And then, you know, he would get to play Fortnite and I give him my phone, he'd play Fortnite. So it was pretty amazing how, you know, he would just, he would just do it. Um, and then, you know, of course, when you're doing it, you start getting better at it. So then the funniest thing was he's playing with this guy because, you know, Fortnite is in different areas or something. So one of the guys playing on Fortnite, they can chat. And I heard him say, hola, hola, si, yo hablo espanol. <laughs> I was like, wait, are you speaking Spanish on Fortnite? <laughs> but when we got to Puerto Vallarta, you know, it was awesome. He sits down, he orders like, you know, he hates language, but he loves food. So he opens up the menu, waiter comes over and he was like, si, por favor, quiero dos tacos y un soda, por favor. <laughs> and I was like, yay! Mm -hmm. Good <laughs> so for him. Awesome. So, yeah. so Duolingo worked out for him. Do you recommend um, Duolingo to language learners? Um, I do with a caveat. Um, I love Duolingo. I use it all the time. But I do think that um, for some of the more complicated languages, like Turkish and Vietnamese, um, that and, you know, probably, uh, probably um, Greek, that have like different grammar rules that aren't as um, intuitive, I do think you need to find a language program that explains those grammar rules a little bit better because Duolingo doesn't necessarily explain it to you. And sometimes when you're really learning a language from scratch, like you have no exposure to it at all, um, it sometimes accelerates too quickly. And so I feel like sometimes people, you can get frustrated. At least I would get frustrated if I got to a level where I couldn't figure out you know, the next level. Like Turkish was difficult for me on Rosetta's, on um, Duolingo. Um, but better like for like teach yourself Turkish or, you know, or taking actual Turkish classes because to have somebody actually explain, okay, this is what we're doing. We're taking all of, you know, all of the uh, words and adding it on the end of the word to make the word, which, you know, we don't have that in English. We have, you know, it's an agglutinative language and, you know, they're, we're not, they're not subject, object, verb, they're subject, verb, object. So the verb is at the end. Um, so it's very, it's different. It's very different for English speakers. Um, you need somebody to kind of explain that. But Duolingo is a great program if you already know some of the language and you just want like a daily refresher. Like I'm using it right now to refresh my Spanish and it's great. I love it. Um, yeah, for those who don't know, Duolingo, I mean, as far as I know, it's got to be the biggest free, like, app for for learning a language. And, you know, there's, like, cartoons and each little module. Like, I've gone through the Spanish one before, and they do it, you know, in sections that I think are very practical. Like, here's how to order food in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then there's the one on flirting, which was funny. But, like, you know, a little bit more practical things. But, again, you know being an American, you know, a lot of us have learned Spanish in school. Well, you know, learned is definitely the wrong word, but a lot of us <laughs> have a familiarity, let's say, with the Spanish language above like any other language for sure. So I'm sure that that was why for me Duolingo um, was super helpful. But yeah, I guess I could see how, you know, when you're 
coming at a whole other language structure or, you know, ones that don't use the, the English characters, the English letter characters, like, you know, um, I guess with Chinese, you know, they have the characters and, you know, you're just going to be so lost. So yeah. yeah. And if you get frustrated, you're going to stop. That's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I think my thing is it's like, you know, experiment with all the different programs and find the one that you're the most likely to do every day. If there's one that you're doing and you don't like it and it's frustrating you, then don't do it, you know, but find a way to talk every day, you know, um, yeah, definitely find a way to talk every day. And the other, the other, you know, downside for Duolingo is sometimes um, it doesn't have the language I'm learning. Like, unfortunately, Duolingo still doesn't have uh, Croatian. So, you know, so I had to turn to other, you know, other sources to learn Croatian. So I, um, I've been in Mexico like two years and three months now. I've taken a total of two months of intensive language learning classes, but like eight hours a day intensive for a month. And um, it's a lot, but you know, I've seen people of varying degrees of like language learning ability. I don't personally think after having gone through those classes that anyone cannot learn a language, but I do, I have identified personally like the mental block that people have and it's that they don't wanna be wrong. They're too afraid to be wrong, so they don't try. And I think, like, at some point, I just had to surrender and be like, my Spanish isn't perfect, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to keep going. So I have a degree in journalism. Like, I'm very, I feel like I have a good mastery of the English language. So, like, then to start over at zero with Spanish was, like, super humbling. But it, I also identified it as, like, the only way to progress for myself. And you write about that in your blog, um, that learning a language like gives you the ability to kind of laugh at yourself and yeah. I love that. So can you tell me about that? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, it, like I always think it's kind of funny, the false cognates, you know, in the Spanish and English language, you know, um, but, you know, we're in Costa Rica and, um, you know, I've you know, I consider myself an intermediate Spanish speaker, like of all of the languages, it's probably the one that I feel the most comfortable communicating in. But like you, you know, it's, I'm definitely not perfect. Um, and, you know, sometimes I make horrendous grammar mistakes. But, you know, you just have to like jump in the water and swim no matter how ugly your stroke may look. <laughs> and, um, so we're in the we're in the condo in Costa Rica and it was a cute little condo and it had like a little washer dryer and we're there for a couple of weeks so I want to you know wash my clothes so I go to the guy at the front desk and you know I look at him I was like hola como estas um tienes sopa por la máquina <laughs> and uh you know and he looks at me and I you know I think I even said you know tiene usted sopa por la máquina so I'm like very proud of myself that I'm using the usted <laughs> and being polite and he looks at me and he's just like this cute like he must have been 20 something and he's looking at me and I can tell he's trying not to laugh <laughs> and he's being very polite and he was like no señora lo siento it's like I'm sorry <laughs> and I was like and then I'm like 
why, what, what is it that I'm doing that's so funny? And I walk back to, and I'm walking back to the, you know, the room and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, adios, you know, uh-huh. I just asked him if he had, you know, soup for the car, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, ah, have on, have on. <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, it's, and I think that's hilarious because now I will never mess up sopa and jabon, you know, because, you know, it's not sopa, it's jabon. <laughs> that's so funny because I think I've actually said like jamon instead of jabon, at Street, which is ham. So like, it's, it's funny, like, because I'm rhyming it with English sounds, of course, you know, right. like, but you're saying completely, you're not one letter off in Spanish. You're saying a completely other word. Yeah. Or have you ever done the cansada, can, cons, you know, uh, casada, consada? Tired. Yeah, tired or married. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, but yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty of things you can just mess up in Mexico specifically because everything in Mexico like pretty much has a double entendre and you can like easily mess up in Mexico with like the slang here is, is that a control? Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like, but that's, I guess that's the whole thing of not being, you know, afraid to make those mistakes. Yeah. You and know? actually, uh, there was also a study that I read about how actually drinking a glass of wine um, is supposed to help language learners because you're exactly right in what you say that it's your fear that really stops you from just you know, jumping in. Cause you know, you're not as bad as you think you are. You really yeah. aren't, you know, like right now I'm doing a language diary challenge where I have to record myself um, and you know, every day for like a minute or two and post it on Facebook. And so when you're doing it, you think, oh my God, I'm making all these mistakes. And then you listen to it and you're like, oh wait, no, I actually did that right. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't sound as bad as I thought it would be. So, um, but apparently drinking a glass of wine lowers your inhibitions so that you're not so self-conscious and it actually facilitates, um, you know, it facilitates the language exchange. So uh, not that I'm advocating everybody go out and get drunk, (laughs) but definitely, you know, maybe you might want to have a language exchange uh, happy hour that might help you if you're you're running into um, a language block. Yeah. I mean, I guess any, just the keep practicing part, I think is the, like the, how, like how I learned Spanish is by being in Mexico and having no choice. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's, you know, why people do immersion kind of language learning and and stuff like that. Um, I would have, I don't even know how you can do it from the U S like, I don't think I would have been able to accomplish what you, what you did. So well, I think it's like, it's important, you know, cause I do think a- absolutely being actually in the country is a hundred percent, you know, ideal. Um, but you can get a language buddy, you know, and then just like practice with your language buddy, like find some, there's always going to be somebody out there that speaks the language and then find them and talk to them, you know, every week. True. I don't know how popular this is in the U.S., but I see it in Mexico all the time. Um, like Mexicans want to learn English. Um, a lot of people actually want to learn English throughout the whole world. It's becoming the universal language or so I've read. Mm-hmm. But um, 
yeah, there'll be meetup, like meetup.com groups um, are really big here. And like, I'll teach you Spanish, you teach me English. And I mean, people do it for free because it's a mutual benefit to everybody. Again, I don't know how popular that sort of thing is in the US, but I know meetup.com is pretty popular. Yeah, so. no, there's definitely that. There's like a meetup happy hour. Um, there's a Spanish one. There's a French one. It's a lot easier to find them in like the more um, prevalent second languages. Um, it gets a little bit more you know, difficult for things that are kind of like Croatian and, uh, you know, Croatian and Vietnamese and Turkish, you know, you're not necessarily going to have a meetup. Um, but, you know, like, like I said, you know, you can find like a buddy. And I actually found like I can, um, you can go on and find tutors sometimes. Like I had a Croatian language tutor and she would come to my office once a week. Um, and teach Croatian and I found her through um, like a language tutor website and she's hilarious she's like my my favorite you know person in the whole world but definitely learned a lot of Croatian language and culture just through that so that's I think really important. Yeah I think that's where the benefit of maybe a, a human person over an app comes in is that you know the the culture side of it because I mean, the language is a huge part of cultural identity, but culture is a huge part of cultural identity too. And, you know, there's just stuff that, you know, a human could interject like, well, this really means this because most of our communication is, is largely nonverbal. So yeah, I, I mean, if I was in the US, I'd probably try and seek out that. I think that that sounds like a really cool thing that you did. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm learning Swedish now and there's actually a, a Scandinavian school here in San Francisco that offers um, beginner Swedish classes. So I signed up for that. And so once a week, you know, we have Swedish class and it's great. I think that's so cool. Again, like San Francisco is obviously a very multicultural city for the U.S., but it's like there are pockets of people like large larger medium concentrations of pockets of people from all different countries in like every part of the u.s like you never know i guess what's out there until you're you're seeking it i mean there might be like a turkish community not far from you and you just have no idea because you've never you've never looked for it or yeah like that but i mean they're like so what i've learned is like definitely there's resources out there it's about like motivating yourself um, committing to it and finding a way to make it like fun. So you're, you feel rewarded for what you're doing. Absolutely. Cool. Well, this has been such a fun talk. Um, I, yeah, I'm just like super inspired by you. I don't know what language I'm going to learn, but <laughs> I, I'm inspired to at least like, you know, like look, even just look deeper into into my my Spanish again. COVID has us all indoors lately, but that should not be my excuse. Clearly, well, what would be what would be very interesting because there's so many. I mean, talking about like languages without borders, right? I mean, there's so many languages in Mexico mm -hmm. other than Spanish, right? Yeah. And so, if we really want to talk about like you know getting to the roots, I mean, there's not not Hual. Mm -hmm. uh, which is the native language of um, the people of Jalisco. And so, you know, um, when I was in uh, uh, Puerto Vallarta, it was very interesting. We went to Animas. And Animas is this little town that you 
only can get to by boat. Um, and it's owned by the native people that were original to the land and they still speak Natwal, you know? And so, you know, you can go there and, and spend the day on the beach. It's beautiful, beautiful, but it's kind of cool that you have like, you know, the native people to the land, they own it, they maintain it and they still speak their native tongue. And then it turns out when we were, the guy who we rented the boat from, who took us to Animas, you know, I was saying, oh, isn't Natwal also the language um, of the people of Til Caltiche? Because Til Caltiche, which is further inland um, in Jalisco, Til Caltiche actually means the place of the temple in Natwal. And I and he was like, yeah. He goes, we have family there. <laughs> so, so it was very interesting. So you could learn, you know, you could learn. Natwal and like really knock the socks off of <laughs> the people in Puerto Vallarta, you know, go to any mass and order a Natwal, they would like, that would be really cool. So, it is and there's, there's funny. books, there's books. <laughs> it is kind of funny to get the stares from people when they are not fully not expecting me to like speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's true. Mexico does have a ton of indigenous languages. Like when I was living in Mexico City, Nahuatl or Nahuatl, the Aztec language, like I met people that, you know, were coming from Europe and stuff to study that language at the university. Oh, uh, very cool. Yeah. And then where I live in the Yucatan, which is a Mayan area, you know, you can take Mayan lessons here too. There yeah. Are, um, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's funny. Um, cool. So yeah, this was an amazing podcast, and I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. And so thank you guys all for tuning into this episode. I hope you're motivated as well to, you know, learn a language or at least learn like 50 more words than you thought you were going to learn. Just a little above and beyond. You never know the added benefits that you're going to get from from knowing you never know when you're going to be the person who can like step in and help someone out because you know a couple extra words and yeah so elizabeth how can people find you online if they want to connect with you um so they can check out my blog which is um adventuresinfluency.com um or you know they can find me on instagram uh, adventures underscore in underscore fluency. Um, or I'm also on Twitter, um, advens underscore fluency. Um, but uh, the best way is just to, you know, come on over to the blog and check it out. I'm working on an article right now about fun facts about uh, Croatian. So that should be up soon. And then um, about how to maintain that language once you learn it, because my biggest problem is, as you can see from the Croatian today, it's been a couple years, and so it was a very rusty. <laughs> um, and so, you know, what happens when you learn a language? How do you, how can you go back and like, you know, uh, maintain it and strengthen it so you don't lose it? Um, so all that's going to be up on the blog soon, um, and they can find me at adventuresinfluency.com. Amazing. Well, thank you again for chatting with me today. It's been so informative and 
just such a fun topic. <laughs> it's such a, yeah, it is, you, you should not show up to another country without the basics. I just really do believe that. So um, yeah, thank you for inspiring people to even go be above and beyond that. And thank you for inviting me. Okay, well, until next week, chicas, nos vemos. That means see you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye. That's our episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I sincerely hope that you're starting to see just how achievable your solo travel dreams are. If this episode resonated with you and you know other women it will resonate with, please share it with them. Let's grow a supportive community of both aspiring solo female travelers and solo travel veterans so we can learn from and more importantly, empower one another. Ready to join the community? Head to our private Facebook group called Dream to Destination and let's chat. If you're also curious about my solo travel adventures in Mexico, then you'll want to connect with me on Instagram and Facebook at Travel Mexico Solo for both. On the socials, I share all of my colorful Mexico photos, my destination recommendations, and links to my related Mexico travel blog posts each and every day. All the social media pages I just mentioned are linked in the show notes. Thank you once again for being here. I appreciate it so much that you're supporting the Dream to Destination podcast. But as a brand spanking new podcast, I will ask you to please, please, please help me spread the word. How can you help with that? It's super easy. Hit subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. By doing those quick four things, you're going to be helping other women find us and go on to achieve their solo travel dreams as well. Until next time, dream on.